Hey, my name is Chad. I'm the pastor here. Thanks for being here, especially if it is your first time here. Uh, as we've already talked a little bit, it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? So I got to do what every pastor in America is doing this morning. Got to figure out who you're pulling for. So here we go. Uh, who's going for the Chiefs tonight? 49ers. Sounds like the Chiefs have it in here, all right? Now, last year, you guys may have remembered if you were here that I did a little prophecy. Do you remember that? Uh, I took a little passage out of Scripture that prophesied that the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, which is really hard for me to say, um, would defeat the Rams and just absolutely annihilate them, and they did that. So this week, I've been working on this prophecy again, trying to figure out, okay, what does Scripture say about the Super Bowl, okay? So I found some passages. I want to share those with you this morning. I'm going to give you the winner of tonight's Super Bowl. Here's the first passage. It comes out of Exodus. Exodus chapter 15, 15. Here's what it says. It says, the chiefs of Edom. Now, this is absolutely amazing. You guys are not going to believe, like really, you're not going to believe this. They were doing some archaeology this week, and they found that in the Hebrew, Edom actually means Kansas City. Again, you're not going to believe that, but they found it. It continues on. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders will be seized with trembling. The people will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. Doesn't sound very good for the chiefs of Edom or Ash slash Kansas City. But there's another one, okay? So it's looking, 49ers is really hard to find in Scripture, but you found it. I found it. And all of you read this book all the time, so you've probably read this a million times. It comes out of the book of Leviticus. So let me read this. Leviticus 25.8 says, Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Okay? I want you to learn, I'm going to write that down and go read that like 15 times in a row real fast. It's really, really hard. Then have the trumpet sound throughout your land. It shall be a jubilee for you. Sounds like 49ers over chiefs from what I can tell from Scripture. So then, Scripture is kind of like about numerology, too. So I took some number stuff here, and I, I took Exodus, and I took Leviticus, and I added those numbers together for both of those passages. So Exodus 15, 15, Leviticus 25, 8. You add those numbers together. That score is not right up there. 33, 33 to 30, 49ers, if you do some numerology there, okay? So that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm going with that prophecy. It's in Scripture, okay? So it's, it's real. And if that's correct, then I'm not ever doing this job again, because I'm going to go... <laughs> and work in Las Vegas. Hey, if you're here for the first time, you probably think, well, that's really weird. I'm never coming back. That's fine, but we love you. We like to have a little fun when it comes to church. There you go. Hey, um, I'm going to ask a, a real question this morning. If I were to ask you if you were rich, my guess is that nobody would raise their hand. But, but if I said, hey, do you know someone who's rich? Every single hand in this room would go up. Because none of us in this room are, are rich, right? And, and so we would say, hey, I know people that are rich. And so to this morning, I thought I'd begin by, by just talking about rich people, okay? So you can just sit back and relax. We're just going to talk about rich people for the, the next few moments as we continue this series called Life Hacks. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we have defined life hacks as simple or clever tips or techniques for accomplishing familiar tasks. And so we talked about hacking time. We talked about hacking stress. We've talked about hacking decisions. And this morning, we're going to talk about hacking money, Okay. We are going to hack some money. Now, don't get all sweaty, all right? Don't let your palms get sweaty. Don't clench up that thing you're sitting on right now because you think this is a giving message. It is not a giving message, okay? Because we're going to talk about rich people over the next few moments and not about giving. 
So I want to give you some characteristics of rich people, all right? Uh, if you've got your program there, I think you can write these down. If you've got your Journey Church app, you can follow along there too. But let me give you some characteristics of rich people. Here's the first characteristic of rich people. Rich people live in denial. Well, think about it. If you go to someone it's like, man, you're rich, what's the response? I'm not rich. Let me tell you about somebody who is rich, right? We always know someone or they always know someone who's kind of in that next level. And the reason is pretty simple. Being rich is relative. It's relative. And that's why rich people are in denial. YouGov did a survey not too long ago, and they asked people, what kind of income do you need to make to, to be rich? And here's what they found. People that made less than $40,000 said to be rich, you needed to make $90,000 a year in income. And so they went to the people that made $90,000 and like, hey, you're considered rich. Are you rich? What income do you need to make? And they're like, no, 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 not $90,000. You need to make $158,000 to be rich. And so they went to the people that made $158,000. Hey, this is what they say, that you need to be rich. What do you need to make to be rich? And they were like, $200,000 is what I need to make to be rich. And so what do we see? We see that being rich is really relative. And again, this is why rich people are in denial of being rich. Money Magazine did a survey, and they actually talked to money managers. And they said, how much do people need in liquid assets to be rich? And the average was $5 million. My guess is if we were to go to someone who actually has $5 million, which I'm sure there's plenty of them in this room right now, $5 million in their bank account, say, like, hey, are you rich? They're responsible. No, I'm not rich. Let me tell you about someone who is. Rich people live in denial because being rich is relative. Let me give you the second characteristics of rich people. Rich people are plagued by discontentment. This means they have this appetite for more. I have shared in the past about my affinity for uh, Mike's American Grill here in town. And, and just think about your favorite restaurant, wherever that may be. I love Ameri uh, Mike's American Grill. It's one of my favorite places to eat. I've been going there for over 20 years. My wife grew up here. And so when I would visit when we were in school together, that was one of the places that her family would take me to eat. Now, if you've been there before and you know what I'm talking about, and you don't have to agree, that's totally fine. This is my story, not yours. So I'm going to go ahead and share it. But if you've been there before, you know when you sit down, they, the wait staff comes up and says, hey, what can I get? you to drink and so everybody kind of goes through their drink menu and then their next question is can we bring you some bread and my response no my response is no you can't bring me any bread what you can bring me is a big pile of Aussie rolls right we don't want that other stuff they make that's throwaway bread we want the Aussie rolls and so I love their Aussie rolls I love to eat those and maybe you've got a favorite food somewhere and when you go to that restaurant you're like man this is the one thing I really really love now I don't get to eat a lot of those Aussie rolls because you know it's not real cheap to go to Mike's and when you got three other kids in your family that makes it really expensive so we don't go there a lot but when I go that's like the thing I'm looking forward to even when we finish eating I'm like can you bring some more I can't eat a thing but I'm just gonna look at them stare at them maybe lick them put them back in whatever <laughs> you know you do that but um but those things are so so good but here's the deal the first time I went there I didn't eat those Aussie rolls and I'm like man these are amazing I hope I never eat another one the rest of my life we don't do that do we no, when we have a favorite restaurant, we have a favorite food, we eat it, and we keep going back, and we keep going back because we, we love it. We have this appetite for more. See, rich people have this appetite for more. They, they live in discontentment. For, for example, think about a rich person in their house. They have a kitchen, right? And so you go into their kitchen, and you look, and it looks normal. They've got counters and, and cabinets and a refrigerator and a sink and a dishwasher all these things and and you look at it and you're like that looks great and they come in and it's like we're going to remodel we're going to take all this out and start over and what do they replace 
place it with. They put the same stuff in. Cabinets and counters and refrigerators. It's like, well, everything else looks like it worked pretty well. Yeah, we're just, just not really happy with this. We've got we to gotta change. See, rich people live in discontentment. Or, or think about their closets. A rich person, of course, has a walk-in closet. So they walk into their closet and they look and they start looking at their clothes. And it takes them like five minutes because they got so many. And they just keep looking and walking around and looking like, I got nothing to wear. And so what do rich people do? They take bags and they throw all their stuff in it and they do good. They take it somewhere and like, hey, can you use this? Give it to someone who needs it. And like, sure, we'll, we'll do that. And so they do that and they go back and look at their closet and like, it's empty. I got I to gotta fill it up. And so they go and they shop and they fill it back up again. And only a couple weeks later, like, man, I got nothing to wear. And kind of keeps going through the system. See, rich people live in discontentment. There's this, this appetite for more. Now, the good thing is that none of us in here have ever done those things before, Okay. And so let's talk a little bit about what it looks like for us to not live like a rich person. If you got your Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy. I think we read this a little bit earlier. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to spend all of our time this morning. And um, give you a little background uh, about it before we get there. Paul is writing this letter to a guy named Timothy. In fact, he, he writes two that we have record of. There's probably more. Uh, Timothy was a disciple, a student of Paul's um, Paul spent time mentoring Timothy, coaching Timothy, leading Timothy, because he, he wants Timothy to, to be a great pastor. He wants him to be a great leader. And so he spends all this time with him, and as he does, he gives him all these teachings. And he, he does that here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 17. We're going to, again, spend our time there this morning. 1 Timothy six seventeen says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Here, here's another characteristic for rich people that that Paul pulls out here. He says, rich people tend to be arrogant. Now, why do rich people tend to be arrogant? I think partly it falls on us because when we're around people that we perceive to be richer than us, we, we, we kind of get that groupie mentality, don't we? We kind of fall into the trap of, man, look at them. They're rich, so they must be smarter. And so we act like they're richer and smarter. And, and we begin to believe that they're richer and smarter. And, and when you st start to do that around people, what do they begin to think? They begin to think that they're richer and smarter too. And so we kind of play into that arrogance, but it's also, it falls on them. Because here's what arrogant people think. They're like, I've put so much time and so much effort into my work, into my study. I travel all the time. I'm working all of these long hours. Look at all these things I've accomplished. Look at my title. And so you kind of throw all of that together. And you begin to think, if you're that rich person, you begin to think, well, yeah, all these things people are saying about me, they're true. And so rich people tend to be arrogant. And here's Paul who's telling Timothy, Timothy, as you're teaching those that are rich, make sure you tell them, hey, don't let this go to your head. Because very quickly it will. Paul continues on there in Timothy 6.17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Paul's like, hey, rich people tend to wrap their hope around their wealth. It's the idea if I get to the certain financial level that I've made it. And so partly what I'm trying to do is make sure that my, my family is secure. I want to make sure financially that I'm secure, my family's secure. Maybe my family's family's secure. And so I've got this goal that I'm shooting for. I want to, I want to make sure I, I reach this goal. And, and the issue that we find, though, is that that hope that we have shifts. See, it, it used to be that our, our hope was in the priorities. We talked about this in our first week when, when we talked about um, hacking time. We, we said there are priorities we should have that we should focus on. 
But when wealth becomes the thing that becomes our priority, what we begin to do is we begin to migrate over. And so our priorities aren't these things that really should be important. It's our wealth. It's our income. It's our job. It's our stuff. And so here's Paul telling Timothy to make sure you help these people who are rich understand, understand where their hope is migrating to. But here's why rich people get to this place. Rich people live in fear. Rich people live in fear. Uh, One of the greatest research firms in this world is a group called Family Feud. Some of you probably are familiar with them. They asked a question in one of their games. The question was, poor people worry about money. What do rich people worry about? And the number one answer that was given by 69% of the respondents was, rich people worry about money. Now, let me use a little bit more reputable organization for most people. U.S. News and World Report talked to boomers who had more than a million dollars saved in liquid assets, and 48% of them said that their biggest fear was that they would not have enough money. And so rich people live in fear. What does fear create? Anxiety. What does fear create? It it creates ill health. It creates worry. It creates this this hoarding mentality of, of what we have. And so here's Paul telling Timothy, hey, you've got to teach these people who are rich. You've got to begin to to invest in them and say, hey, stop being arrogant about what you have. Stop putting all of your hope in your wealth. Because he says there's something better than that. At the end of verse 17, he says, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Not to put your faith, your trust, your hope in money, in stuff, but to put it in God. And I love what he says there. He says, because when you do, when they begin to live this kind of life, he says, God, God will take care of them. God will richly provide everything they need in life for their enjoyment. Now, this is great, isn't it? These are wonderful characteristics of how not to be a rich person, all right? But but here's the thing that, that we haven't done yet. I haven't defined who a rich person is. So in our minds, maybe if you're like me, you're kind of reading through this, you're thinking about this, and you're like, oh, I know a rich person. Yeah, I know this person and this person. Man, I wish they were here this morning to hear this. <clears throat> but again, we haven't defined what rich is. And again, being rich is relative. So I, I want to use an economic definition of rich this morning. Here's an economic definition of rich. If your income is more than $48,000 a year, then you are one of the top 1% in wage earners in our world. Think about that for a second. I, I know, living in an area like this, you're like, that's not a whole lot of money. I get that. I understand that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about our world. If we were to think about this, if we make $48,000, at least $48,000 a year, we are one of the top 1% in wage earners in our world, which means that more than likely you and I are some of the richest people in the world. And you may think, hey, well, I don't have a big bank account, or it's kind of empty, or I'm living paycheck to, to paycheck. But, but one of the things that I will let you know is that even if you may be less than 48000 you're kind of right there on that line. Your heart, if you're normal, your heart's already migrating to this desire to be rich. Because that's who we are. Now, being rich is relative. Because you're 48000 you may think 90000 you reach 90000 you think it's 158000 it keeps going up. It's It's relative. But our hearts have already begun to migrate to this idea of wealth and rich and that we need more because we have this appetite for more. But that's always a moving target. 
And I can promise you, you will never be satisfied once you get there. Because again, if you ask someone who probably is rich, are you rich? They would say, no, I'm not rich. This person's rich. Being rich is relative. It's a target we will never hit. And if we do hit that target, we'll continue to move it. And so the question is, if we realize we are rich, right? If we understand that we are rich, how can we stop living like rich people in our life? How can we begin to hack our money? Well, I love what Timothy, uh, or Paul writes to Timothy here in verse 18, because he gives them exactly what needs to happen. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. When I look at this, there's two money hacks I see here. Here's the first money hack. Paul says, do good. Do good. And in fact, he talks about doing good by, by doing good deeds. If I were to ask us how much money do we need to have to, to make sure our future is safe, then, then we would say, not what I have right now, right? Because again, being rich is relative. We're, we're always striving for more. But how do we get more? How do we get this place to having more? Well, well maybe you win the lottery, which is luck, right? Maybe someone gives you some money, which again, can be luck sometimes. But, but to make more, to have more, it means our salary has to increase. It means we have to make more money. We have to get a bigger bonus. Uh, maybe you move from one salary to two salaries in, in your house. And this is how we get more. This is how we accumulate wealth. But to get there, what has to happen? See, so many times we'll give up on those priorities that we say are important to us to get to this place of having more wealth because of this appetite we have, this desire to be rich. And so we'll work longer hours. We'll, we'll take more business trips. We'll, we'll do more projects. Why? Because we have this goal in mind, this target that we're trying to reach, this place we're trying to go to, which keeps us from being able to do the things that are most important. Paul says, Timothy, teach people who are rich to do good, which means we, we work less long hours. I mean, we focus on those priorities, but we do good in life, too. We, we serve other people. We, we volunteer church organizations, whatever that may look like. Because sometimes we forget that we're rich. And it's amazing what happens when we go and do good around people who are less fortunate than us. That experience begins to change our mindset. We begin to realize, hey, I, I may live in a, in a nice home or townhome or apartment here in, in this area, but man, there's families that are half a mile from here who are struggling, and they have very little. And to be able to serve and to volunteer and help others, it can really help begin to change our mindset. And so Paul says, Timothy, tell those who are rich to begin to do good. Stop thinking about all these other things and, and worry about wealth accumulation and begin to serve others. Begin to make a difference in other people's lives and see what happens when they do that. So money hack number one, do good. Money hack number two comes at the end of that verse there. Be generous and share. I'm gonna give you some statistics right here because it's funny. The less we make, the more we give. For those who make an income of less than $48,000, on average, they give 6% of their income away. For those who make $200,000 in income per year, they give 2.4% of their income away. Here's this crazy thing, though. If, if you look at this, um, this diagram here um, that they have when it comes to giving, if you've got the 48,000 and less here who are giving away 6%, there's really this curve. It's not until you hit $10 million in income per year 
do you equal 6% that the 48,000 or less, less give? Now, I know 6% of $10 million, that's a pretty big deal, right? It's a lot more than this over here, but we're not talking about numbers here. We're, we're, we're talking about percentages. Why, why is that? Why is it that those who make less are more generous with, with their money? I think part of it is they, they, their hope's not in wealth. Does that mean they don't have a desire to, to be rich and to make more? No, it doesn't at all. What, what it means is their, their hope is not in their wealth. There's, there's not this magic number they're attempting to get to. Uh, these individuals give out of generosity. And maybe it's because of, hey, we're, we've been there before. We're there now, and, and we want to make sure that we help others out. Here's Paul telling us, Timothy, to be generous and share. To tell those who are rich to be generous with what they have and to share what they have. So many times when we have wealth, we're more worried about the accumulation of that wealth. And so we, we kind of walk around with closed fists. And Paul's like, no, 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 you need open hands. Uh, open hands where you can, you can do good for others, you can help others, you can volunteer, but, but also to be generous and share what you have with those around you. Do good, be generous and share. Uh, here at The Journey, this is a generous church, and I just kind of throw this in here right now. We'll have more information coming out in an annual report in the next couple of weeks, but um, our budget last year was a little over $870,000. That's the, the highest amount that we've ever put a budget at here at The Journey before. Uh, our giving for 2019 was over a million dollars, one million and thirty-one thousand dollars which is absolutely incredible. Our December giving that we had was almost $194,000. Here's why I throw that up there today. This is a generous church. That you are generous in what you give. Here's my challenge to us. Again, it's not a giving message, okay? I mean, not to give here, but are there other places that you can continue to increase the percentage that you give to make a difference? Now, I didn't say to stop giving here, okay? That's not what I said. <laughs> Look, we're trying to impact as many people we can to help more people take those next steps towards Jesus, and this is one of those ways we can do that. But giving is such an important part. Our generosity here to other organizations, to people we know and care about who need a little help, man, this is, this is how we live it out. This is how we can keep from being rich. And if we do that, here's the outcome. Look at verse 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, what we, we tend to do is that, that we make wealth a substitute for God. That wealth becomes the thing that we focus on. It becomes our priority. It becomes everything that, that we kind of live for. But here's Paul who's telling Timothy, do you want that true life? Do you want to show them what true life looks like? Then have them focus on Jesus. Make Jesus the firm foundation in their life. And then they can truly experience what a full life would look like. And I think that's a struggle for so many of us. We put our hope in wealth and not our hope in Jesus. I want to put a couple of, couple of statements up on the screen this morning. The first one is this. There is no God. Let's just say we die, right? And that's it. Boom, poof, gone. See you later. That's it. Nothing after this. We, we've lived this life. We're finished. But then I want to put this other statement up here. And the second statement is this. You have no money. Now, I want you to look at those two statements for just a, a moment, because when I put both of those up there together, together my guess is that, that number two is the one that caused a lot of anxiety, right? 
I'm just going to be honest. I look at both of those and like number two kind of bothers me a little bit. But that's the way we think, right? That's the mentality that we have. But, but let me put these in perspective for us. Let's say that you're laying on that hospital bed. You're hooked up. Hospice has been called in. Your family is there. Friends are there. You've just got hours to live. Which one of those statements are you more focused on at that moment? My, my guess is number two doesn't really, you don't really care about it that much, right? You're not thinking, man, I hope those mutual funds do really well today because I really could have a little bit more money there, right? You're not thinking, I hope that company stock splits because, man, we really need that. You're not thinking about the money piece at that moment. Now, you're probably hoping your family's taken care of, but you're thinking about number one really big time. And some of you have been there. You've been there with family and friends who are lying on that hospital bed and they're in hospice and they're dying. They're probably not talking to you about money. They're talking to you about the, the next life. Is there a God? If there is a God, and this is the God I've been following my whole life, and I've given my life to Jesus, what's next? What's coming next in my life? See, our perspective changes when, when we think about this at the end of our life. In fact, what's one of the things that we do um, when we're on that hospital bed? You don't call in your money manager and say, hey, let me see my spreadsheet. You call me, right? You call the pastor. You're like, can you come in and pray with us? Uh, can, can you spend some time with us? You start praying a whole lot at that time. So if this is such a big deal for us then, why can't we put our hope in God now? Why can't we say, hey, God, you're right. I, I, listen to me. Making an income is not a bad thing, okay? Having money, having a bank account, having wealth, it's not a bad thing. The issue is, is when it becomes the priority in our life. And honestly, we're all rich in some capacity here. And so what does that look like for us to begin to make that priority in our life? Not, not our stuff, not our possessions, but God. And to focus on Jesus. Because if at the end of our life we would look up there and say, yeah, I'm more worried about what the God thing is all about, <laughs> why not to begin, to begin to put our hope in that now? And allow God to lead us in that direction so that we can live this full, full life. Hey, when it, comes to, when it comes to money, how important is your wealth when your marriage is crumbling? How important is your wealth when your kids won't have anything to do with you? How important is your wealth when your friendships are torn apart? How important is your wealth when you're fighting sickness and death? Do you really care about how much money you have in the bank? Probably not. What you care about are those relationships and those connections. Wealth is just a number but where we put our hope that is our responsibility and here's Paul teaching Timothy help those who are rich to understand the importance of following God it's okay that they have money but are their hearts in the right place and I think that's the question you and I need to ask too is our heart in the right place when it comes to our wealth as we had in our communion time this morning, um, if you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, you know Jesus talks about money a lot. He talks about money second only to love, I believe it is. But, but there's a reason, because Jesus understood the impact of money in people's lives. Je Jesus understood the power of money in people's lives and that it could become superior to anything else. And so that's why I love this, this verse, these words out of Jesus' mouth. And some of you may be familiar with it. It comes out of John 10.10. 10. It says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
doesn't say so they can have a fuller bank account. doesn't say so they can have more possessions. It says so that they can have it to the full. So they can enjoy life like Paul talks about. Maybe Paul pulls this from John 10.10. 10, I'm not sure. But there's this connection there that, that the stuff we have, it, it can have us. It can be a substitute for God. Or we can fully follow Jesus. And we can enjoy this incredible full life that Jesus talks about here. That's why I love this opportunity for us to take communion together, to be reminded of, of that love that God has for us, that God knows we're, we're, we're motivated to, to move and migrate toward wealth. And, and God's like, no, 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 this is more important. Your, your life, your soul, your eternity is more important.